What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, recording from the Vivid Seat Studio, and back with me today to preview our high noon matchup with the South Carolina Gamecocks is my co-host, Curtis. We will break down every aspect of this game momentarily, but first, we do want to remind everyone that you can follow the podcast on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA, and you can also email us directly if that's easier for you. And that address is gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. We know that not everyone does the whole Twitter thing, so we want to make sure to give everyone that other option as well. And guys, look, we value each and every one of you that listen to this show. So please, please feel free to share your thoughts about the topics we discuss on the show, any game observations, any questions, really anything you have, send them our way. And we are happy to join in on the conversation. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. And also, if you enjoy the podcast and you have maybe a second or two, we would greatly appreciate it if you would help us out and rate and review the show on whatever platform it is that you listen to us, but especially Apple Podcasts. You'd be surprised how much that really does help us. It helps us spread the word, helps us grow the show. So if you get a chance, you like the show, that would be awesome. It would definitely help us out. But enough of that. Let's talk some ball. This South Carolina football team, guys, they're going to be 2-3 and three when they roll into Athens on Saturday. Obviously, not great. They had a, dis- a really disappointing Week 1 loss to North Carolina, a team that, man, I'm still not sure how they lost that game. I know North Carolina has proved to be a, a much better team than they have been the past couple years, but I still think this South Carolina roster is better than that North Carolina roster. So I'm not sure exactly how that happened. They just didn't play very well. Then they follow that up with a win against Charleston Southern, an easy baby seal. But then uh, they have back-to-back 20-point losses to Alabama at home and then on the road at Missouri. And then their first Power 5 win was over a bad, bad Kentucky team two weeks ago. So here they are at 2-3, and three, and everyone has written them off. They've got games left here in Athens at AM and versus Clemson still on the schedule. So at this point, at least in terms of the national landscape, South Carolina is less than an afterthought. But... Curtis, I will say, I think this South Carolina team is better than their record. Or at least, I guess I would say, like I think they're more talented than their performances to this point would seem to indicate. I think that's maybe how I would phrase it. And I also really do not love the circumstances surrounding this game. It's a noon game, which is never a great thing for the home team. After a night game, which makes it even worse, so it's the noon game at home coming back from a road night game the week before, your bodies have less time to heal. You have a little bit less time to prep. So it really kind of is a prime situation for a letdown here. South Carolina's going to be coming in with absolutely nothing to lose. they got a lot of motivation to change their narrative, not just for their season, but really their program at large by coming into Athens and shocking the world by knocking off a top three team, doing something that no one thinks is really possible for them right now. But maybe most concerning of all for me, when you consider the situation of this game, is the fact that the Gamecocks are going to be coming into Athens fresh off of a bye week. I am a big believer in the value of a bye week. You see it week in and week out, year in and year out, when it comes to teams playing other teams that are coming off a bye week when you're not coming off that same bye week. It allows coaching staffs uh, to dig deeper when putting together their game plan. They have more time to do that, to really think it out. It also I mean, gives the players themselves more time to get in the film room, study the film, familiarize themselves with, with our formations, with our tendencies, our tells, all those things. So Curtis, I'm probably crazy, but how much of a game do you expect the Gamecocks to give us on Saturday? Um, I think you always have to be prepared for them to give you a good game. I mean, it's not going to be the loudest crowd, uh, more than likely. 
that's going to be a noon game. And South Carolina coming off a of bye week. So, and, I mean, as you're seeing, as you know, as you become a good, consistent team that plays like we have been the last couple of years, you're always going to get every team's best shot. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I think that we're, we're – and that's what I'm kind of getting used to. So I, I feel like in some ways I'm overreacting. Like I'm saying, oh, my God, they got a bye week. You know, they're coming off that bye week. They got, they got nothing to lose. Uh, they can come in here and then crazy things can happen. Like, and I, I know I say that, and maybe it's me just trying to to uh, just be cautious going into this game and not uh, and not maybe go to a situation. And I'm superstitious, guys. That's the bottom line, all right? I'm superstitious, and I feel like if I think that we're going to win, I just don't respect the team and our team's not. I know that sounds crazy, so I kind of have to do that just to cut for my own sanity. But you're right. Like, we're at the point now as a fan base, or as, as a program, we've reached the level where we're going to get – everybody's best shot. We're not Alabama yet. We're not Clemson. But I think especially in the SEC East, we play a divisional opponent. We are we are the, the big guy on the block, and we're going to get their best shot. So you, I think you always have to be cognizant of that because when you're getting everybody else's best shot, and especially a team coming off a bye, and you're coming, uh, coming back from a Tennessee game, it was a road game, playing an early noon game with a sleepy crowd. If you're not ready to play, like they could come out and punch you in the mouth, kind of like Tennessee did. Not, we were able to recover. But you just don't want to be in that position. So I'm just kind of cautious there. But look, we are the better team. There's no doubt about that. We have more talent. There's no doubt about that. We just got to come out and play our game. As we play our A game, it really doesn't matter what South Carolina does. We're just that much better than them. But if we come out and play a C-level game and, and like things go their way and they get this great, you know, and they they have a, a you know a couple turnovers early in the game and and things are kind of just clicking for them, it could be closer than we wanted to in the first half. There's no doubt. Kind of like that Tennessee game. But Anyway, like all football games, this one will come down to the matchup. So let's break down the matchup, starting with the South Carolina passing game versus our pass defense. Now, statistically, the Gamecocks, they've been slightly below average on the football. They haven't been terrible, but not particularly good either. They're ninth in the league at 228 yards a game. Uh, this one is rough. Uh, they're 13th in the SEC and 115th nationally in yards per attempt, only 6.1 yards per attempt, and that very much aligns with what you see when you watch this South Carolina football team, they throw a lot of short intermediate stuff. And it seems to me they're trying to protect Jake or not Jake. They're trying to protect Ryan Holinsky, uh, a young quarterback who might not be ready to read every defense and every coverage and throw the ball vertically down the field on a consistent basis. Uh, but they're only eighth in completion percentage, which is kind of odd. You consider the fact they are throwing a lot of shorter passes at 59.7% on the year. Now, obviously those numbers would be different if Jake Bentley had not gone down on the last drive of game one against North Carolina They've now got former top 75 recruit Ryan Halinski, which I'm sure a lot of you guys, I mean, you know him by now, but you probably remember his name if you follow recruiting from back uh, a year or so ago. We recruited him pretty heavily coming out of California. He's been the guy since Bentley went down. He now has four stars under his belt, and he's going to be the guy leading the Gamecock offense on Saturday between the hedges. Now, Curtis, Halinski's this guy right now uh, who has gotten a lot of love. One of those guys the media has already kind of anointed as the future star of the SEC. And with his background, the situation with his brother, which it truly is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking stuff. He's already a media darling and a fan favorite. But you don't hear people talk about what he does on the field that much. It's more about the the off-the-field stuff with him right now and, and his story. But on the field, Curtis, how good is Ryan Holinsky right now? Um, I think he is a good quarterback. I think he does a decent job of getting rid of the ball and has a good arm strength. But I think that he still has a lot of growing to do, especially when it comes to his road starts. You know, his only road start to date was not very good against Missouri, who is not a bit a defense that anywhere is as talented as we are and not a hostile crowd. So I think that needs to be taken into account. And yes, he put up some big numbers against Bama. But he had a lot of opportunities. And he also um, never – I think the one place he struggles on is 
to get into the red zone and the field starts to shrink, he really, uh, really starts to struggle. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, you mentioned the Alabama game, and that's the game people point to and say, "Oh, th- th- this is these are signs right here." You watch how we play against Alabama; it's one of the best teams in the country. He performed really well in that game, so this shows you he's going to be a future star. And yeah, he he performed well-ish. He did have 324 yards passing. I think some people are still stuck in the old school mentality. If you throw for over 300 yards, that means you did something special. And it's it's still a good marker to hit, but there's more context to it. He also threw the ball 57 times in that game. He was 36 to 57, did throw for 324, but only uh, threw for 5.6 yards per attempt. Again, going back to the idea they're throwing a lot of shorter passes, trying to get the ball to their playmakers in space. And then you mentioned the Missouri game. So a solid game against a, a good, a very good Alabama team, obviously an elite Alabama team. But he follows that up on the road with a 19 for 41 game against Missouri in a, in a bad loss in the road. And he actually got a lot of responsibility for that loss. And he should have, you go back and watch that game, which is one of those games I looked at preparing for this show. And uh, man, he was bad. The numbers don't even really do justice to how bad he was. And there was a pick six in that game. I mean, it's just not good stuff from him in that game. So I think he's been up and down right now. He does have the skill set. He has the physical profile. He's an athletic enough guy, not a true dual threat, but he can move enough to, to escape the pocket and pick up a first down on a third and long situation. If you don't respect him there. Um, and he, he can make every throw, but right now he's still a true freshman. He does true freshman things. He doesn't understand what all what defense are trying to do uh, to attack him every time. He doesn't understand coverages consistently. Uh, he gets confused. They don't really use him to take a bunch of shots down the field right now. He'll take a couple here and there, but that's just not his game. They don't seem to trust him in that regard. Right now they want to take the safer, quicker, easier passes, get him into a rhythm by hitting some short, intermediate passes. They do a lot of screens right now. Uh, Brian Edwards trying to get him in space and let him just kind of make some plays out there. So that's kind of what you're seeing from him right now. Um, and Kurt, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. Let me ask you on here. So Helensky, I think, is it fair? He's a he's a good player, right? Like he's a solid true freshman. But is he good enough to lead his team to a road win over a top three team as a true freshman? Is he that good? I mean, I'm not ready to say he's not, but I still think that he has a lot of growing up to do. Um, like I mentioned, since he struggles in the red zone, you can't struggle in the red zone against a good team. You have to be able to put up touchdowns yeah. because field goals don't win you get big games. Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, is he good enough to beat us? Yeah, sure. I'm, you're, I'm with you. I don't think you can say definitively no. There's no way because, like I said at the outset of the show, if we come out and we play like a C-level game, which we've done before, we've done that before under Kirby Smart. It doesn't happen very often, but it has happened, and it could happen again. It probably will happen again at some point. We should hope we don't lose that game. It doesn't cost us. But if we play a game like that, and they come out, and they play the top of their game, and everything's clicking for them, things go their way, they get all the bounces, get a couple key turnovers, I, I think absolutely they, they could win this game. But again, I go back to what I said earlier. I'm not trying to sound the alarm here. We are the better team. We have more talent. It's his first true road start in a really hostile environment. I know he had the one in Missouri, but Missouri is a pretty sedated environment for the most part. It gets loud at times, but it's not really known for that. Uh, and I've been there a bunch of times, and it hasn't, other than maybe like the first game in 2012, it hasn't really been all that intimidating. Um, so this is a, a new experience for him. But to sit here and say categorically that he does, he has no ability whatsoever to possibly lead him to victory in Athens on Saturday, that that's a little much. Uh, he, he's good enough to do that. If But we'd have to help him. I'd say that. we have to help him, but – He's good enough. If we make some mistakes, he's good enough to potentially help this team capitalize on. I'll say that. Uh, now, in some ways, the South Carolina offense, they're kind of in a similar situation to the Tennessee offense. They have good skill, talent, and some playmakers on offense, some guys that can actually go out there and make some plays. But they have this question mark at quarterback. I, I think Helinski is maybe is, 
Is it safe to say, Craig, that Helensky is maybe less of a question mark than Tennessee's situation? Yeah, I will agree with that. Yeah, I mean, he's still a question mark of sorts, but maybe not to the degree that Tennessee's facing right now. But still, the fact remains, they've got players out wide, they've got playmakers, but a question mark of sorts at quarterback. So who are those guys we're going to have to game plan for, Curtis, when it comes to the South Carolina passing game? I mean, first you have to mention uh, Brian Edwards. That's the guy. That He is the dude. It begins, it ends with him. He's got 27 catches in the year, 348 yards. Uh, 13 yards of catch for him. He's kind of their big play guy, and he's been that way for a couple years. He's a guy that's kind of like a complimentary piece to Debo Samuel for a couple years, but now he's kind of stepped out to his own, and he is the guy for them. Three touchdowns on the year. Uh, When you look at Brian Edwards, Curtis, what kind of receiver is he? What is it about him that makes him a good player? Um, He's an athletic and physical receiver. You know, he runs great routes, and he does a good job of, uh, you know, just going up and grabbing the ball when it's up there. Yeah, you actually like stole my notes here, man. I, I, what I have in my notes, looking at him right here, physical, athletic. He is the he's the total package. He's not necessarily a true burner, but he's got good speed for his size, about six three, about two fifteen. He's a physical receiver, can go up one in the top of the route, breaks tackles when they, when they get him in space, which is one of the things they're trying to do with him right now. Give him some of the short, quick pass, let him go out there and make some plays, break some tackles, and see what he can bite off. But he is a total package. I think he has an NFL future. Uh, and I, I, he clearly, to me, is their alpha when it comes to that receiving group. He's the dude out there, and he's the number one guy you've got a game plan for. So he's kind of – I mentioned he's, he's kind of been the complimentary piece. Now he is the guy. So who are the complimentary pieces to him this year for South Carolina? Um, I mean, I to me, honestly, I feel like – I honestly feel like they try to go towards a running game with Rico Daddle more than anything. It, this year, that's absolutely the case. The, first, the you know the past couple of years, they've kind of gone away from the run game. They've really been committed to it. They're much more committed to it this year. So you're right about that. I'll save that conversation. I'll save more, uh, the depth of that conversation uh, for a, a little bit later on the show. But Shai Smith is a guy uh, that I think has kind of become that complimentary piece uh, in the passing game. He hasn't done a ton, 18 catches for 220 yards. He did have six catches for 90 against Bama. But he's a smaller guy than Edwards. He's 5'10", 190. He's a guy that that is someone you have to be at least be aware of if, if he's out there. But the problem for them right now is he's questionable coming into this game. Did have the bye week. I'm sure they're hoping he's healthy enough to try to give it a go, but we just don't know right now. But he is a guy out, he is the guy outside of Brian Edwards who's been at least a consistent threat for them. Other than that, they've had some guys here and there. Or Trey Smith's been there a couple of times. Uh Rodriguez Davis has been hurt. Josh Vans made a couple of plays for him here and there. Another guy that we recruited back in the day. But I think Edwards and Smith are the two receivers that you got to watch for. And then I'd also throw in their tight ends. You know, these guys aren't household names right now, but when you watch them play, I see some athletic matchup problems out there at tight end. You know, they, it was Keel Pollard who was the guy that was going to be their tight end coming into the year. He was a guy who was a former receiver, jumbo receiver from Colquitt County, uh, ends up at South Carolina, has become a tight end, or became a tight end, but he got hurt and his career's over, so he's not – a, he's not a part of this team, right? or he's not at least a part of the team on the field right now. He's still with the program. But they got Kyle Markway and Nick Muse, who's a, who's a transfer that came in this year. And those guys have combined for 21 catches and 224 yards, two touchdowns all in the year. Not massive numbers. When you watch them play, when I, when I see these tight ends play, I'm like, wow, those guys are pretty good. Like, those guys can create some matchup problems. They're both athletic, create, create those issues, especially against base defenses. So you got to at least watch for them. And, and they really like those tight ends. They just, you know, with a, with a true freshman quarterback, you know, you would think a tight end would be more of a safety blanket, but it hasn't really turned out that way to this point. But those guys are still, I think, a, t- a talented duo there that can make some plays if we don't pay attention to them. But uh, all right, Kurt, when it's all said and done with this South Carolina passing attack, when you match them up with our passing defense, 
who are you giving the advantage to? I mean, I think I'm going to go with our team. I think that the thing that hurts South Carolina as much is they're not really a big play type team. They're not built for the, you know, the big home run threats. No, they're not. In the past, they have been. But this year, it's a different story with a true freshman quarterback. And I think when you look at this statistically, we are seventh in the SEC in pass defense, you know, 219 yards a game. And they're ninth in the SEC in passing offense, as I mentioned at the outset. So it's not a dramatic advantage either way on paper. It's fairly even. And they do have a stud wide receiver in Brian Edwards. They got some good pieces around him. But as good as Helensky will likely be eventually, I, I would say, like, again, going back to the idea, like, in his first real start in a truly hostile road environment against the best defense he has faced this point, that's just not an ideal situation for anybody. Uh, in South Carolina, they're also 12th in the SEC and 84th nationally in sacks allowed. You got you to consider the pass protection. We're talking about a passing game. They have not done a good job protecting him. And right now, we have done a much better job of affecting the quarterback. We're twenty, we're top twenty-five nationally in sacks and fourth in the SEC at three sacks a game. So this might be another one of those games, like we saw against Tennessee, where three sacks, eleven tackles for loss. We might be able to affect him uh, with our pass rush because they haven't been particularly effective in protecting him against the schedule they played to this point. Uh, so I'm with you. I, I think I'm gonna give the advantage to our pass defense here. Um, all right, so uh, we've discussed that. Let's move on to the the South Carolina rush offense versus our rush defense. They're not necessarily a great rushing team, but I'll say they have made significant strides over where they were last year. And Kurt, you kind of just alluded to that. Just to give you guys uh, a feel for that. They're twelfth. They were twelfth in rushing, twelfth in the SEC in rushing last year at 152 yards a game. But right now, I know it's only a couple games in the year. But they're right now sitting at fifth in the league at 203 yards. Again, they only averaged 4.7 yards of carry last season, but they're up to second in the SEC right now with six yards per rush so far. So that's really been a huge blessing for them with this, uh, with, with the quarterback issues they've had with Bentley going down. I'm a true freshman, as good as he's been at times, he's a true freshman. It's it's really become a two headed monster for them at running back this year. You got Rico Dowdle and then Clemson transfer Tavian Feaster. Uh, you guys might remember that name. He was. Uh, at one point, the uh, former number one ranked all-purpose back coming out of high school who never quite panned out at Clemson. Now he's at South Carolina. So on the year, Dowdle's got 370 yards rushing, 6.6 yards of carry, and right behind him, Feaster's got 290 with 5.8 yards of carry. In their most recent game two weeks ago at home against Kentucky, when they beat Kentucky for the first time in five years, both Dowdle and Feaster had 100 yards rushing. Dowdle also went over 100 against Bama on just about, I think it was like 12, 13 carries, something like that. So, Kurt, the numbers are much improved for this South Carolina ground game. But how much does their ground game actually truly concern you in this matchup? Not really. I mean, they're going to be a good running team. I don't think they are as good as the numbers say right now. Um, I don't think the offensive line's that well. And I think the fact that with Helensky the way he is right now, teams are going to start trying to take away the run game and force him to beat them. Yeah, I think that's what you got to do. I think it's what you have to do, attack this South Carolina uh, offense. Look, when it comes to Dowdle, like he's he's one of those guys I've never been able to wrap my head around. I've always thought when I've watched even back when he first came onto the scene, and they were really high on him. I've always thought he had the physical makeup to be a really good back. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's physical. He does run hard. He's also explosive, has the ability to catch balls out of the backfield, but he just hasn't really quite ever put it together until this season because it's starting to kind of kick in now in his senior campaign. And Tavian Fisher coming over from Clemson, he's been a really nice addition. Maybe not a feature back, but a really nice piece that runs hard and certainly do more than just fill in for Dowdle for a snap or two. He's a guy who can go out there and, and be a really good complimentary piece. 
But I will say, if you look at it more closely than just their numbers, yes, their numbers are better this year through five games, but it's a small sample size. And if you look at it closely, those rushing numbers really are skewed by the fact that they ran for 495 yards versus Charleston Southern. Outside of that, in their four other games, they've averaged 131 yards a game rushing, which would put them right at 100th nationally and only four yards per carry. So I think you got to put that into context. So they basically ran for 500 yards on Charleston Southern, who is – who is, I don't even know what Charleston Southern is. Like, who are they? And on the flip side, we are fifth nationally giving up only 59 yards game on the ground and 2.3 yards per rush. So if you look at it a little bit more closely, I do think that this is a matchup that should favor us, right? It, yeah. It has to. Yeah, it has to at this point. So I'm not going to say I'm unconcerned because if, if there's anything they do well offensively right now, it is running the football. But again, it seems like it was one game where they really just kind of took it to Charleston Southern on the ground. And outside of that, they they haven't been bad on the ground, but they haven't been spectacular. They've been 100th nationally, which is slightly – well, that's more than slightly. That is below average. And we've been really good, like top five good stopping the run. So uh, I think this is a matchup that should favor us. And I'm hoping they don't have a ton of success running the ball because if they don't have success running the football, we might be able to suffocate their offense. I think we'll have a good chance of that. But all right, so we've discussed both elements of this South Carolina offense. So, Curry, if you're Kirby Smart, you're Dan Lanning and company, what is your defensive game plan to attack this South Carolina offense? Honestly, I think I'm going to play two uh, two safeties high, and honestly, I'm going to probably just like I mentioned, kind of try to take the run away from them and force Selinski to beat them. And more than anything, I think that I'm going to try to keep the ball in front of me. I think that's the biggest thing with the South Carolina yeah. team. You don't want to give them any big plays. You want to make them have to sustain drives and be consistent. You're stealing my notes. And also, you, get, you want to be able to get a lot. You want to get a lot of pressure on Helensky knowing that, that he's on a road start against a quicker defense. Fourth minute mistakes, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. which is what Bama did at times. Yeah, they were able to get to him at times, absolutely. And as I've said a couple times already, South Carolina offensively, they've been all about the short passing and get the ball to their playmakers in space to help make life easy on Holinsky. I mean, guys, they're 115th nationally in yards per attempt. That's terrible. By the way, they're tied with Georgia freaking Tech in yards per attempt. We're talking about Georgia Tech, guys. That's who South Carolina is tied with in terms of yards per attempt. That is that is not good, to say the least. So I would ideally, I'm totally with you here. That's what I have in my notes. I I'm, I would come out playing that aggressive press man coverage against uh, against what they do offensively, trying to get the ball in, in the playmaker's hands with short passing and make that difficult. Specifically, I would play a lot of cover two under, where you have uh, everybody's playing man underneath, and then you're, you have two deep safeties over the top. Uh, that would help us. Now, honestly, what I would try to do is slow down their ground game without having to roll the safety down. That, to me, that's key. If we, if that's probably the key to the game for me. If we're able to slow down their ground game, keep them in check without having to bring additional resources into the box, we're going to be in really good shape defensively. Because what that's going to do is allow us to help over the top on Edwards, especially if it's DJ Daniels over there. And I think Daniels is a good cornerback, but he's not Tyson Campbell, and Edwards is a is a matchup problem. Edwards is just bigger and more physical right now than DJ Daniel is. And if, he does, if, he, if we have to roll a safety in the box and we can't necessarily roll coverage over on top of Edwards, that could be a match that causes us some issues right now. It really could. So uh, and right now I would probably lean towards Daniels being out there. Wouldn't you at this point, Kurt? Yeah, I would. It seems like Campbell, from my understanding, is dealing with a turf toe injury of sorts, and that is never a good thing to deal with. You just don't know with that. Right now, I wouldn't. I would love for for Campbell to get back in there and get some rest before Florida, but I wouldn't count him being back uh, before the bye week. I just I can't count that when it's a turf toe. If that's indeed what it actually is. And Daniels has been good. He's a good player, 
but it's just a matchup issue with Edwards, just bigger, more physical right now. And that concerns me. I'd like to be able to keep a safety at the top there, give Daniel some, some help over the top. So uh, that that's what I would do. It would allow us to be aggressive and pressing at the line of scrimmage to take away that short passing game, but again, also have that safety help over the top. So if I'm Dan Lanning, I'm Kirby. They're a lot smarter than me, but I would do something of that. You got to mix in different things as well, but that's kind of what I would lean on more than not when it comes to defending South Carolina. And before we break down our next matchup, I do want to remind all of you about my bookie. Don't miss the action this week with South Carolina coming to town. My bookie has that extra something for your enjoyment. Not only sides and totals, but quarters and halves as well as in-game action. And of course, the Bulldogs to win it all. At last check, we were favored by 24.5 on my bookie with a total of 52.5. And that just scratches the surface. We've teamed up with MyBookie this October to give you this great offer. All you've got to do up now is sign up at MyBookie.ag and use the promo code OVERTIME and they will completely match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, let's move over to the other side of the ball and look at how our, our offense matches up with the South Carolina defense. And we'll start with our pass offense and the South Carolina pass defense. Now, defensively, South Carolina is near the bottom of the SEC in defending the pass. They're 11th in the league, 96th nationally, giving up 251 yards a game and 7.2 yards an attempt. Now, that is skewed somewhat. You know, I have to give them credit here. That's skewed somewhat by giving up nearly 500 yards passing and five touchdowns to Alabama. Which, by the way, guys, uh, was the is the most yards Tua Tagovailoa has ever thrown for in one single game was against South Carolina earlier in the year. But they also like I, I want to put that in context. But they also did give up nearly 250 yards passing to North Carolina and the true freshman quarterback Sam Howell in Week One. So I, I'm just not sure how good they are defending the pass. What has been? Can you look at the South Carolina defense, Curse? What's been the issue for them against the pass? Um, honestly, I want to say I feel like their DBs aren't good at tackling. So. Once the receivers are getting the ball, they're really struggling to get them down. I think that certainly has been an issue for them. Um, it really has been, which is, is odd for a Will Muschamp coach defense. Usually they're, they're pretty fundamentally sound. I think another issue that I, that I see when I watch them play is they don't have a ton of depth. Uh, they really don't have a ton of depth defensively, especially in the secondary. Jemias Williams, I'm sure everybody remembers that name from Grayson High School. Uh, he quit the team already. What what was it, three games in the year, Kurt? Yeah, I believe so. I think three or four games. Maybe it was going into the Kentucky games, so maybe after four games. But he's no longer with the team. They didn't have a ton up before that. He'd been moved around from, from star to safety, and then he was losing time at safety. So he's done. He's gone. So they don't have a ton of depth. Um, and I think they have issues at safety right now. They had those earlier in the year. They're trying to address those. And moving Jemias out of, the, out of the starting lineup was one of those uh, attempts to address that issue. But – they're still not very good at safety. I actually think they have some pretty good cornerbacks. J.C. Horn, yes, former or a uh, son of former Saints receiver Joe Horn. Yes, that Joe Horn with the cell phone and the end zone, that whole deal. Um, but he's he's actually – I think it's a guy that could be a budding star at, at corner. And on the other side, I always have trouble saying this guy's name, Israel Mukwamo. we're going to go with. Uh, and th- both those guys have some length at corner. J.C. Horn is 6'1". Mukwamo is 6'4". Uh, and I, I think Horn's probably the better of the two, but both those guys are pretty good at cornerback. I'd give them credit there. But at safety, which with, with JT Bay and RJ Roderick, they're average at best at safety. They lack athleticism in general. And I think those are guys that you can really target in the pass game. And then at star right now, 
have had to make some adjustments. And they're playing true freshman Jamie Robinson, who's a guy that we kind of lightly recruited last year, but never really gave a committable offer to. He ends up at South Carolina. So he's a guy that's a good, solid player. Like we, we were at least in discussions with him. We were communicating with him, but never quite gave him the, the green light to commit. But he's a good, solid player. But he's a true freshman as well and a smaller guy at that. It's one of the reasons we ultimately did not take him last year. And they also don't have particularly athletic inside linebackers. T.J. Brunson's a guy who's been around for a while. For them. He's about a third-year starter now. Sherrod Green, those guys are fine between the tackles, but they struggle in space. Brunson's a little bit more athletic than Sherrod Green, in my opinion, but I still think he struggles to move sideline to sideline. So to me, yeah, they've got some guys out there, but there are certainly some areas that we can really attack in that South Carolina secondary. But on the other hand, our passing game, Curtis, it has been a well-documented work in progress, to say the least, with our largely young, inexperienced wide receiver group. So even though they have some issues in that secondary, Curtis, how equipped are we to take advantage of some of those deficiencies? Um, I think we are well-equipped. Um, I think it will help that we've got some speed on the outside. Um, and I just think that we can draw up some routes. And I think that one of the things, too, is that we're going to be just as physical with these guys, and that's not, especially without having much depth that's going to hurt them because we're going to lean on them. We're going to attack them. We're going to make them come up and play ball. And I think that's going to wear on them as the game goes on. Yeah, I I think you're right about that. Uh, To me, when I'm looking at this South Carolina defense, I think in terms of our passing attack, this is a game where our running backs and our slot wide receivers can really step up or need to step up and have some big games. They're going to have opportunities in this game, whether it's their linebackers, their safeties, Jamie Robinson at stars, a true freshman. I think we're going to have some opportunities to hit some big plays against those defenders. I mean, if you go back to that, watch that Bama game, which I did, Bama murdered them with RPOs and burned safety after safety and inside linebacker after inside linebacker. And I know we don't quite have the receivers. Oh, I shouldn't say not quite. We just don't have the receivers that Bama has. But we have guys, I think, that are still plenty good enough, plenty athletic enough, plenty fast enough to take advantage of some of the issues they have at linebackers, some of the issues they have at safety. And even, again, Jamie Robinson is star. Now, I will say in terms of the pass rush, DJ Wanham, I think, is a good pass rusher. I mean, he was uh, – I think he's the best edge rusher they've got. He was third in the SEC in tackles for loss before he got hurt, but he's out at least for this game, maybe another week as well. I think that loss, Curtis, how big of a blow is that for them? Oh, that's a huge loss because um, now all you really have to – game plan for is Kinlaw because outside of that they don't have anyone that's really a good pass rusher that can move the pocket or get to the quarterback yeah I think Wanham being out is is a big issue for them because you mentioned Kinlaw now we're gonna be able to maybe direct a little more attention to him because Wanham's another guy when him and Kinlaw are on the, field, on the field at the same time those are two guys that can that can wreak some havoc back there and, and we got fortunate I don't want to say fortunate I want to say any guy's injury is fortunate but we didn't have to have to play him last year he got hurt in week one so he didn't play uh in Columbia when we played there in week two last year and he's a good player. It looks like we're going to miss him again this year. So I, I don't really take any pleasure in that because I don't see anybody get hurt. But I do think that's a big blow for them. I do think it's a benefit to us. Uh, I still feel good about our offensive line, but not having DJ Wanham out there, that's going to hurt them. And that's going to make it a little easier to handle this South Carolina front, especially when it comes to rushing the passer. So I do think that this – I know we haven't been a great passing team, but when you have Jake Fromm back there with what Jake Fromm brings to the table and some receivers who are starting to, to kind of – to grow up a little bit and get a little more comfortable in our system. I think that we still should have an advantage against the South Carolina passing passing defense. It might not be an overwhelming advantage, but I still would give our guys the edge in this matchup. Now, the other element here in offense, obviously, is, is the run game. We uh, when, when you're looking at the South Carolina defense, they're maybe not quite as bad against the run as they are against the pass, at least statistically. 
but they're not really great there either. They're ninth in the SEC, get up 139 yards a game, on the, excuse me, on the ground, and ninth in yards per attempt. They get up 238 to North Carolina in week one and nearly 200 to Missouri. They did hold Bama to 76 yards in that game and three, right at three yards in a tent. But again, Bama threw for 500 yards in that game. So I'm not sure how, how relevant that really is. So, but they're not necessarily terrible against the run, but they're not really great either. One thing I will say when you look at this South Carolina defense, when they're healthy, when everyone's healthy, they have a very solid defensive line. Kyer Thomas, uh, Javon Kinlaw, DJ Wanham, Aaron Sterling, Rick Sandage. They have some guys. They have some players, some good, some good players, some good options, some depth up front when they're healthy. But they're not exactly healthy right now. Kyer Thomas is out. Wanham is out. I do have Kinlaw, Sterling, and Sanders. Well, Sterling is questionable, but I think he's probably going to play. And then inside linebacker, they have some solid vets, but I'm not sure if those guys are true difference makers. So, Kurt, when you look at the, that, maybe that front seven, let's say the whole front seven, who are the true difference makers in that South Carolina front seven? Um, I mentioned it. The only one that I really feel like is a true difference maker is Kinlaw. I'm 100% with you. That's exactly who I have my notes. This is the only guy I have my notes. Am I going too far if I say that I think he is an all-SEC first-team type player? No, not at all. I mean, he was even getting pressure and doing stuff against Alabama's offensive line. He's a freaking beast. And I know Derek Brown is really good. He gets all the love. But Javon Kinlaw is, in my opinion, honestly, just as good. It might, maybe even better. Uh, I, I mean, I mean that. Javon Kinlaw is really good. When I watch them, like, he's the one guy like, oh, my God, that is a game wrecker right there. I mean, he's a flat-out NFL player. There's zero doubt about that. I mean, he is an NFL player. And he's actually leading the, set, leading the SEC in sacks from his interior defensive tackle position. He's got four sacks in the year. Now, they do move him around. He plays, a, he plays some and uh, uh, knows the zero tech. He'll play a little three-tech. He'll even slide down play a little five-tech, which is kind of like Derrick Brown. You know, Auburn moves him around like that, too, to make it more difficult to, to game plan for him and to give him more opportunities uh, in different situations, in different packages. And they do that with Kinlaw a lot. Like, that guy is a freaking beast. He is – and I know offensive line is really good, but that guy is a monster. He is an absolute monster, and he is someone that we have to know where he is every single step because he's the one guy that they have on that defense that can blow up a game plan. He is that one guy. Now, DJ Wanham, when he when healthy, is, is borderline that, but he's out. So we're not even going to really go into much more detail with him. And, Kurt, we obviously – like we want to run the football. Everyone in America knows what we want to do, and that includes Will Muschamp and defense coordinator Tavares Robinson. So what level of success do you expect us to have running the football against this South Carolina front? Um, I think we may have success because I think that if you use the pass well enough on first and second downs like we did against Tennessee – is going to open up the run game. That's just, you know, if you don't have them guessing and knowing what you're going to do, then you're going to have uh, abilities to be successful in the run game. I mean, yeah, they shut down Alabama, but Alabama has not really been a good rushing attack so far this year. And, you know, Kentucky, the same thing. They're not, I mean, they're just terrible in offense right now. So um, I, I think that there is the ability to run there. We just have to not be as predictable. That's a great point. You're right, because we saw how much more effective – or we didn't make it necessarily more effective, but we saw how we were able to kind of merge the run game and the pass game and how they kind of played off each other in that game against Tennessee, throwing more on first down. I told you guys we threw a lot more on first down, broke that down in the Tennessee recap. We threw the ball a lot more on first down. It made the running game effective. It opens up some more lanes for us to run. It opens up some breathing room for the backs and the offensive line. So do you do you expect us to continue with that trend, or is that kind of a one-game anomaly in your mind? Um, I think you may see it continue. I mean, 
maybe it's because Pruitt and then Noah's, but that's also the case for South Carolina. Yeah, I want to believe it, man. I really, really want to believe it. And I said coming into the Tennessee game, I'll believe it when I see it. We, we saw it for one game, and now I guess I'm in. I'll believe it. We're going to do it consistently when I see it. So I, I'm there now. So maybe if we see it this week, I'll feel a lot better about it. Uh, but at least we seem to be on the right path in that regard last week. I want to believe it continues. Uh, but in terms of like how much success I expect us to have running the ball against South Carolina, I would say, honestly, I feel like we're going to have as much success running the ball as we do against most teams. It's probably going to be tough sledding early on, uh, somewhat like it was against Tennessee, although we, we didn't really have too many issues running the ball early in that game. We were moving the ball fine. But they're going to likely sell out against the run. I think that's what they're going to do. I don't expect them to do what Tennessee did and, and kind of play that too high safety shell all game long because that's not really necessarily what Muschamp does. That's more what – that's a Pruitt thing. Uh, and Muschamp, he's a defensive guy, and all good defensive guys worth their salt. They want to make you play left-handed. So Muschamp knows what we do is we run the football, so he wants to try to take that away from us. I think that's what they're going to do. Um, so, if, Kurt, if, if that's what South Carolina is going to do to us, how do you game plan around that? If you're James Coley, what do you do to attack that? I think you got to sit and shock them a lot. Um, you got to give – Jake time and space and just really sit back there and see the field as whole and allow him to control the offense and, you know, the play calling uh, with the audibles and get us in, into the right formations and plays like that and things like that. But um, I also think that you're going to have to attack them on the edge. I think that's where we definitely have uh, an advantage. Dude, you're all over my notes, man. It's exactly what I have here. What I have, I have, I have, uh, I would love to see some perimeter runs and honestly perimeter runs other than the jet sweep. Cause that seems like the only way that we want to get the ball on the edge right now. Um, I would like to see maybe some outside zone. I don't know. It's possible. We run so much inside zone. Let's try a little outside zone and see what our guys can do. Uh, the tall sweep is out of the it's out of the equation now. We just don't run that anymore. It's a lot, has a lot to do with the fact that Yeah, I, I honestly don't want to see Tyler Simmons touch the ball on a jet sweep because it's obvious what we're doing, and that's all he can do. And I had a, actually had a question about that on Twitter. I think, was it Josh maybe who sent that in? I think it was Josh. So I appreciate that, Josh. And he was talking about how, you know, he doesn't think Tyler Simmons is the best player from like a personnel standpoint to use in that role. Would you agree with that? Yeah, he's fast, but I think he has terrible vision. I think that's one thing that yes, really hurts him. Straight line if you give him a straight line, yeah. he can run. And that's why I don't understand why Tyler Simmons may have been better off in the long run if he had just moved to the running back and allowed him to try to maybe make an impact from there. But receiving-wise, he's just not there. Um, he doesn't do a good job of cutting. Like when James Cook does it sometimes, he does it better because he can see the field. And when he sees it, he can cut up and make people he's miss. More, yes, just yes, to more loose in space, move better laterally. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Simmons just always – and that's one thing. His lot, a lot of his runs go for not always big games because he just keeps getting pushed farther and farther without cutting up. Yeah, he doesn't have any it ends up just work. never being a game for us. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I never quite understand why we have him at punt returner because punt returner typically is a guy that might not be – he's fast and quick, but he's more elusive and quick twitch than anything. So you got, you got to make guys miss in space when they're kind well, of Well, as you can see, he pretty much lost that duty to a freshman. Uh, yeah, and that was because of the, obviously the muff that – uh, against Notre Dame, I, I, but I always like to be a better kick return, which are guys that basically are just running in a straight line. They, they don't need to have as much wiggle because there's not as much juking those guys. You're trying to make guys miss some space. You're just trying to find a seam and bust it. Uh, and, I, and I think Cook is actually better as a punt return. So I think we've got it backwards in, in our return game. I think we should flip, flip-flop those guys, but what do I know? What do I know? Uh, but, yeah, I'm with you, man. Absolutely. I want to get the ball on the edge. Uh, with plays other than just the jet sweep. I'd also attack their linebackers and safeties in the past game. I'd try to attack with some seam routes, some double moves on the outside, because even though I think that Horn and McCombo are good cornerbacks, in a game like this, you know they realize they're going to have to make some plays to beat us, and they're going to be aggressive trying to jump routes. 
I would go with a couple double moves on the outside, and I think we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to have a chance to hit those, especially if they're having to bring safeties down in the box and they can't play with a too high safety look. If we hit those double moves and, and, and we fool them there and they play, and they play too aggressive, we're going to have a chance for some big plays. If we want our offense to be more explosive, which is something that we need to continue to improve on, I think in this game that's one way to kind of generate some of those explosive plays. Uh, but look, you know, defensively, like they're going to move Kinlaw around. They're going to shoot gap, try to create negative plays. So we're going to wash those guys down, get on the edge, like you mentioned, run some outside zone. Um, and it's probably going to be tough sledding early or tougher sledding early run the football. But with the injuries they have on that defensive front, I don't know if they have the depth in that front seven to last all game, kind of what we saw against Tennessee. Uh, but all right, next up, we have our 3-2-1 segment where we give you three reasons to be optimistic about our chances. Two things to be concerned about and one key to the game. So, Kurt, I'm going to start with you, my friend. Give me three reasons that you are optimistic about our chances against the Gamecocks. First off, I think we're more talented. Yeah, um, sure. That's, that's safe second to off, say. I think, yeah, second off, I think anytime you have Jake Fromm back there that you have to be feel optimistic because I think that he can control the game and help put your team in position to win. Can we just and, pin um, Jake Fromm permanently for three reasons for optimism? Yeah, I think you can. And then lastly, I honestly think that matchup-wise, take talent out of it, but I think matchup-wise, we match up better with them in almost every position. Um, well, we just went through the matchups, and we, we, gave, we gave ourselves the advantage in every one of them, right? Exactly. Their strengths don't truly tip the scale in any one part of the matchup for them. Yeah, there's not one area we can say, well, Georgia's deficient there, and South Carolina's really good there. That's a matchup advantage for Carolina. They don't really have that. Um, yeah, I like all those. For me – I think the first thing I'm going to say is, again, going back to what you were just saying about matchups, statistically the best thing that South Carolina does is run the football. Even if those statistics might be skewed by that game against Charleston Southern, statistically the best thing they do is run the ball. And But on the flip side, you're right. Statistically, the best thing we do defensively is stop the run. So I like that matchup. They don't really have any advantage. That was the one place they, might, they could possibly have one, but it just happens to be what we do best defensively. So I like that matchup there. I also um, am optimistic about the fact this is a new situation for Helensky. He is a good player. He has talent. He's going to be very good, but he's never played in an environment like this. Now, maybe he's just one of those naturals. Maybe he's a Jake from, like, when Jake goes up to Notre Dame in his first start in a, in a huge situation and is able to pull one out. Didn't play great, but pulled one out. Maybe that's Helensky. I don't know. But your average true freshman quarterback in this situation, the first true hostile road environment, that's a tough spot for him. So I, I, I'm optimistic about that. And the last thing I would say is just the fact they lack depth in the front seven. If, if a team is really going to be able to slow us down offensively consistently throughout an entire four-quarter game, they're going to have to have depth up front. You'll rotate guys in and out. There's no team that we play to this point that's been able to do that. And I don't think South Carolina is going to be that team, especially even if they were 100% healthy, I don't know if they'd be that team. But now they've got some injuries up front in the front seven, I, I think it's going to be even more of an issue for them. So I think we're going to be able to wear them down in the second half, kind of like we did to Tennessee, and, and hopefully pull away in the second half. Uh, but on the other side, Chris, what are two things that we should at least be can mildly concerned about in this game? First off, you got to go with South Carolina coming off the bye week, and then I think that you have to look at the game time. Yeah, and, and I, I, I'm, I agree with you on those. I'm kind of combining that into what I call the situation. You're right, South Carolina coming off the bye week. I always, I don't care who it is, I think it's an advantage when you're coming off the bye week. And you, then you got to factor in, of course, like you just said, it's a noon game, typically sleepy crowd. So if you're going to the game, guys, get there early. Be there for kickoff. Be there in the stands. Support our guys. Do our job. We've got a duty. We've got a responsibility. Let's 
hold up our end of the bargain. Now, and I'd also throw in the fact that I think South Carolina is going to be like Tennessee early last week. They have nothing to lose. They're going to give us their best shot. I don't think it's going to be good enough if we play our game, but they're, they have nothing to lose. They're just going to go out there and let it fly. And we're going to, I think we're going to see some trick plays, some onside kicks. I mean, we saw some of that stuff from Musham against Alabama, and I don't think that'll be much different in this game. I think he wants to win the game. He's going to do whatever it takes, and they're going to have that mentality. So just the situation is at least somewhat concerning, even though we are the more talented team. And then the other thing for me uh, I would be at least mildly concerned about, and maybe even more than mildly concerned, is the health situation. Uh, DJ Daniels, I mentioned, is is if he's out there, if, if Campbell can't go, and Daniels potentially matched up on Brian Edwards at time, which he will be. I'm sure that South Carolina will try to scheme that up if Daniels out there. That's not a matchup I love. It's not. I really would like us to be able to have some safety up over the top for him. Um, but you know that depends on if we're able to stop the run. So that comes to my, my next part of this is we need to be able to stop the run against this uh, South Carolina offense. And if Jordan Davis is not healthy, he's not out there, he's a big part of us stopping the run, holding up uh, blockers, eating up blockers up front, Bring up our linebackers, go out and make plays. And we just don't have another body type like that. We have guys that can play the nose. You got Michael Barnett, you got Julian Rochester, but those guys do not have the same body of Jordan Davis. They're different type players. They do different things. It changes our defense a little bit. So, um, yeah, I, I think injuries for us are, is at least a, a, a somewhat of a concern, I guess I would say, for us going into this game. And finally, Curtis, what is your one key to victory in this game? I think the big thing is if you take them out of the game early, then you that's the key for us. Don't let them hang in. Kind of like Tennessee last week, right? Yeah, honestly. You don't want to give them any hope. And it didn't work out in the long run for Tennessee. But I think one of the reasons it didn't work out for them in the long run is that we were able to it's not steal, but we were able to get those two touchdowns right before the, like less than five minutes ago before the half. If that game goes in the halftime 14-14, I'm not going to say we lose, but it's still a different vibe coming at halftime. And we were able to kind of, of avoid that. So that, to me, was important in that game. It's, it's going to be important against a team like South Carolina, a team that's an underdog like that, a big 25-point underdog. You don't want to give them any hope early on whatsoever. Uh, but for me, I mentioned this a little bit, my key to the game is stopping the run with our front six. I know everybody says front seven. We don't really play with a front seven anymore, guys, not in modern college football. So our front six, stopping the run without having to bring a safety down in the box to add additional resources there to get numbers advantage. That's important in this game, guys, because what that's going to do is allow us to provide safety help over the top, especially if Campbell can't go again. That's something that we're going to need there for DJ Daniel if he's mashed up on Brian Edwards. And it's also why Jordan Davis being healthy could be big in this game. Do you think Davis is going to play, Kurt? I honestly don't know if Kirby's going to push it. Yeah, Kirby, uh, you know, he said that, you know, he's he's back, he's out there working with the team right now, but does that mean he's 100%? I don't know. It's an ankle sprain. It, it doesn't seem to be a, a – a, very serious ankle sprain when you're a big dude like that. You just don't know how – when you put all that weight on the ankle, it's iffy. So I, I don't know, man. Like we've heard before, oh, yeah, the guy's practicing, but the game comes and he doesn't actually play. So I don't know, man. But we're going to need him in this game because he's key for us being able to stop the run with our front six. And if we're able to do that, then I think we are going to be able to to do a pretty good job of shutting down this South Carolina offense. I, I think he's a key part of that. So just got to be able to stop the run with the front six. And I think we'll be in pretty good shape. And all right, Kurt, before we get out of here, I do want to give you one quick chance here. What's your prediction for this game? I'm going to go with Georgia with a 35-17 to 17 win. So not quite covering the spread. I know a lot of people out there might be shaking their head at that prediction, but I really don't think you're too crazy there, Kurt. We should cover the spread. We are a much better team, a much more talented team. But again, as we laid out a couple of times on the show, this the situation around this game 
might make it a little bit closer, at least early on, than what we'd all like for it to be. But I will be back with Charlie tomorrow for our Week 7 Picks of the Week. And both Charlie and I and our guest host will unveil our picks in this Georgia-South Carolina contest. So make sure to check back tomorrow to get those and our other picks of the week. But that does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast, guys. We really appreciate it as we do each and every show. We appreciate each and every one of you guys taking time out of your day to listen to our show and support us here. It's been a great two weeks as we've kind of started this new partnership with Overtime Media and all of your support, guys. It's what made it possible, and we just cannot thank you enough for that. Again, we will be back tomorrow, Charlie and I, along with the guest host, for our Week 7 Picks of the Week, so check back with that. And if you haven't already, if you enjoy the show, we would greatly appreciate it if you would give us a rating and review on whatever platform it is that you find our show on, especially if it's Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out, and uh, we greatly appreciate it. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>